0: Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. We're in, in, I've hit hit record. We're not even (laughs) going to have a a slow intro we're just going hard.
1: Okay. This episode is brought to you by Eat Lean Cheese. For 10% off, please contact Brett NNN10. NNN10, Brett, (laughs) Eat Lean Cheese.
0: You've just done my job for you, I don't have to do it now. (laughs) Um, while we're on that subject actually you've just reminded me, two things, two new products coming out but I'm not going to tell you what they
1: are because they're a secret and I can't say I suppose the big question is are they unprocessed processed processed foods or ultra processed foods?
0: I would say they are definitely processed maybe in the ultra processed, however I'm going to only say processed on the basis of the ingredients are literally milk and a pinch of salt
1: Okay. And that would and,
0: pro- and probably some form of bacteria maybe. I don't know the cheese making yeah. process. So they're probably.
2: making yogurts
1: or cheese. Cheesy yogurts.
0: Yogurts. Is Joghurts. it <laughs> <laughs> is, is it not similar?
1: No? Not
0: similar? Oh, yeah. Could be. Could be. Do, um I actually have no idea how to make cheese, although <clears throat> I've been asked twice now to go to the farm and check it out, and I will do eventually.
1: So, okay sounds good
0: yeah i want to see it they've got some um new oh shit actually no i can't say this i was about to say <laughs> i'll tell you off air i was about to give away so there's like oh no i've signed nda i can't do this um yeah anyway freezing cows <laughs> uh yeah they've got some new new cows um they like those belgian bulls. they basically that's how they get more protein into the cheese nice yeah. so they squeeze the bulls. good <laughs> 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 so anyone listening i think bear in mind we do have you know, a couple of people listening, there is an audience, um, I think they're going to see how this episode is going to go, so I want to welcome two friends of the show, two of my personal friends and two of my favourite people in the industry, I say that because they're in front of me, um, <laughs> who do I introduce first though, does that, does, if I introduce one person first, does that make them my favourite? It does, so I go with Rab. Well, alright, Rab, hello Rab. <laughs> hello Brett, how are you this evening? I am amazing. Thank you. I do not know why we are talking in such a monotonous tone.
1: I don't know. I'm grand. So like, I, <laughs> I wasn't talking in any monotonous. No, no. Just uh, that instance came out like that. But yeah. Well, It can I, be
0: animated. I decided to follow it on, so I don't know why. Um, okay. So the other person on the line is obviously Richie. Um, and actually, before I go to you, Richie, I'm going to go back to Rab. Sorry. Um, because when, when he said... Um, I'm f- did you say I'm fine? I think you said I'm fine. I think, aren't you ripping off another person's material or another competiting podcast's material by saying I'm fine? Um, Am I? He's I, was, don't, I don't think he said
2: I'm fine. I think he said something very distinctly Irish. Did he? Which was what?
0: I'm grand. I'm grand. Did he? Right, okay. Maybe yeah, he did. So. Okay, maybe he's just translated it into Irish. I think that's still theft. Intellectual property theft. Mm-hmm.
1: IPT. <laughs> oh, I think I realised what you're talking about now. I was just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yes. I don't... Know what you're about. <laughs> okay,
0: good.
2: It's, it's very meta, listening to an Irishman doing an Irishman's accent.
1: Yeah, I know. It's pretty interesting, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of regions... So actually, now let's go back to Richie and then we'll go back to Regent. Richie, hello. How are you? I'm grand. How are you? No, you're supposed to say I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grand, sorry. That's because I forgot it's Irish. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I'm I'm also grand. What
1: do you think oh <laughs>
0: What do you think of my Irish
1: accent? Stop, please. <laughs> uh, sort of Pierce Brosnan circa the film Evelyn.
0: I was I was genuinely about to say was Pierce Brosnan Irish?
1: He is, but he had to do. He has, he does a really bad Irish accent.
0: Right.
2: He was he was Irish, raised in England. I think is that it. I don't.
1: know.
2: Just, Something make, like that.
0: just making
1: stuff up. No, this is the genuine truth. Well, it sounds
0: like to it sounds like a hot take
1: to me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the hottest of hot take.
0: Hmm. Hashtag inside joke. Everyone's listening, thinking I don't know what he's saying, but. <laughs> It's an it's an inside joke between you two because I don't either. So <laughs> Sorry, We'll we'll explain off here, <laughs> like it's live again. Maybe should maybe I should put this live. Maybe I should Instagram it live while we do it. We have done that before.
1: Oh yeah, you have it yeah, actually.
0: Yeah, I've seen yeah. that. Yeah, cool, cool story, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is gonna go well. Right, I tell you what, Let's let's bump this up a notch. Let's get this moving. So today I've got these two very muscular Irish men onto the podcast today. Um, Let's all wave at Richie's Instagram. Um, (laughs) Purely because we want to have a round table about many facets of the fitness industry. Fitness industry? Yeah? Fair?
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, I would say that I am very ill-prepared for this conversation. (laughs) So um, that might make it mildly more entertaining than it usually (laughs) is. So... I'm hoping it makes it very much fun for everyone listening. Um, sure, sure. <laughs> so for one all for all the family. Oh, yeah, mm, I don't know, actually parental advisory. Um, maybe not all the family. Maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe just the ones that are over eighteen. So um, how are we going to play this, lads? Are we going to show? show we we never actually decided on. Um, so we obviously had a, a pre-call chat, as you know, all the professionals do in the industry. Um, But we never actually decided what direction we're going to go in first. So um, I'll leave it to you two.
2: I think uh, we wanted to start um, with a little bit of a conversation around uh, ultra processed foods, didn't we? And their effect on health and how uh, how, the role that they play in society at the moment.
1: Yeah, um, I think. I'm happy to go that direction if we want to leave our, our secondary subject for later on. That's, um,
0: that sounds grand to me.
1: Wet, wet the appetites of the of the people. So, yeah. Um. Obviously, I think I brought this to the table somewhat by talking about that whole area that um, Stefan Guine was talking about, like, energy poisoning. But then I brought it into the whole thing about ultra-processed foods and then talked about how that is... Obviously, a topic that kind of relates to socioeconomics and sociodemographics. And I talked about the, was it, the Fagenberg study from 2019. So I just talked about the marketing of ultra-processed foods to lower socioeconomic brackets versus higher socioeconomic brackets. So that was my involvement in this and obviously sent over some papers to you on a very last-minute whim.
2: And we all had a good study of those papers, including Brett, um, who's smiling at that comment. Um, Yeah, and I suppose suppose the first thing to talk about is um, if we're talking about ultra-processed foods, what are we actually talking about?
1: Yeah, so probably for people who are unaware of this, they have been, well, obviously foods have been classified by what, the NOVA scale or NOVA but categorization where essentially foods have gone from unprocessed or minimally processed through to processed culinary ingredients, through to processed foods and ultra-processed foods. And within these categories, you have stuff that you'd expect to find, I guess, in unprocessed. So red meat, cereals, bar corn, because corn is obviously something that goes through a significant process, fruits, poultry, etc. all that stuff. Into processed culinary ingredients, you have your typical oils and fats, sweeteners, uh, and then processed foods would be considered breads, cheeses, other things, um, other processed foods of which they have not been determined. And then your ultra-processed foods are what you'd expect, so cookies, pastries, um, something that I guess we're calling high-palatability foods perhaps, or is there some root for... um, discussion on that, I guess, but that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about the NOVA scale and the spectrum of unprocessed, to processed foods. Mm.
2: I I, I think the the interesting thing with the classification is, um, so when NOVA came out, it was a way of identifying certain foods and trying to say, okay, look, these are the categories that we're going to, um, that we're going to say, these are the foods that fall into the categories that we've predefined um and kind of giving foods a predefined category it's not always helpful but it's useful for when when we want to look at how foods affect people you know in the in the general population like if we want to look at a study if we want to say okay how does a certain group of foods affect people how do we even define it how do we look at it and that's what the nova categorization does and it's really really good and i think once the that categorization came out we had a few other studies that Um, used the NOVA classification and then they started showing how higher intakes of certain foods related to different aspects of health and what a lot of these studies were showing um, particularly there's a few out of France they showed that with higher intakes of ultra-processed foods so the more ultra-processed foods that people were eating they had uh, greater uh, rates of mortality so higher death rates uh, higher rates of cancer higher rates of cardiovascular disease um, and one thing about that was if, you know, just like any study that comes out, it freaks people out. It's like, yeah. Oh Jesus, ultra processed foods are going to give me cancer. Ultra processed foods are going to give me a heart attack. Um, and some of that is, you know, it, you know, there's a reason like, you know, it, it's not like it's an unfounded fear. Um, but then again, with media and everything that goes on today, it does tend to get blown a little bit out of of proportion, and I suppose we kind of want to have a bit of a conversation about that and how ultra-processed foods can play a role in um, just like, let's say, a diet induced disease uh, in general. Would that be, does that sound right, Rob? Yeah, yeah, I mean
1: I think you're right on point with that, and obviously when we talk about ultra-processed foods as well, the potential for surrounding environmental aspects come in as well with that and i think that was also touched on within the advertising paper uh, or the 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 public health paper from i think fagenberg from 2019 that talked about in the particular area that had a lot more of the ultra processed food advertising there were a lot more of the I suppose establishments that were able to offer those within that area it was a lot more urbanized, not a lot of open green spaces, etc. So those are kind of things that you are probably going to include in the discussion when we talk about because I don't think we can separate ultra processed foods from that whole discussion of built environment, lack of spaces for activity, etc. I don't. Th- I think on their own. They may or may not be a major contributing factor. I think they certainly have a play a role, but perhaps there's more in the discussion as well. Yeah, you you, you can't you can't
2: blame the obesity epidemic exclusively on ultra processed foods, but they they pl- probably play a play a role.
0: I think, um, I, I was just going to add. I think even the idea of ultra processed foods is it. I mean, I guess this is for the discussion as well. And it is ultra processed. The actual the, the mechanistic kind of thing we're talking about in terms of is that even really the issue um, or could it be conflated with actually, you know, what we said before the call really around kind of the the fact that ultra hot processed foods are generally hyper palatable. Also, they're generally, the thing that Rab obviously also spoke about just then around heavily marketed, heavily available all those other factors, I guess, like, we, we're kind of talking about a lot of this hyper-palatable, no, sorry, ultra-processed kind of, um, I can't think of the right word, but basically we're talking about the, the effect of ultra-processed foods, but obviously it is massively nuanced and way more around kind of those sort of things in terms of what then affects the general obesity epidemic we've got and some of the the ill health and the, the higher rates of mortality as we talked about in these areas
2: yeah absolutely like it, any any conversation like this it's going to have to be uh, multifactorial you can't you have to look at a few different ways that you know certain foods or certain environments that we you know we might get into that um can affect health they can affect consumption and there's a lot of things to to kind of to take into account the cost of the food the availability of the food the marketing of the food like Rob was mentioning earlier um i think if if we like you know just just because as nutritionists, we can we could probably talk about the nutritional aspect of things. Um, and Rob, like when we were talking about this, mentioned a really really good paper, which is the the Kevin Hall paper that was on ultra processed foods. And um, I don't know, Rob, would you like to go into what what the Hall study is about, or?
1: Well, I? to to be honest, Richie, I think you can jump in there because I right off the top of my head, I'm like I cannot remember for the life of me. I do know that it was looking. And um, what is it? It was a metabolic word study that involved people eating primarily uh, an ultra processed food first vers- diet versus an unprocessed one, I think. Mm-hmm. And off to the top of my head, it was the ultra processed group ended up eating a lot more overall calories from that side yeah. of things.
2: Yeah, so, so, um, Kevin Hall, for anybody who's not familiar, like one of the Let's say biggest up-and-coming researchers in in the whole nutrition um, obesity uh, research field, and he's he they, his group did a really really interesting study where just like Rab said, they basically put people into a metabolic ward, which is just um, an environment that people can completely control. They provide people with all the food that they that they um, that they eat. They provide them with, uh, or they give them the opportunity to do a certain amount of exercise. Everything is controlled, they can control for their energy in and their energy out. So it's a really, really good way of studying the effects of specific foods on a specific outcome. Um, and what they did, like Rob said, is they had two different diets. One was very, very highly processed, ultra-processed food. The other was uh, a, more, a, a less processed diet. And they were very, very similar in terms of macronutrients Um, and the uh, amount of calories that were provided to people. And the interesting thing was, so they provided these people with um, more food than they needed. I think it was potentially, um, I'm not sure if it was close to two times what their estimated um, calorie intake should have been. So they had excess food and they told people, you can eat as much as you want, and then just leave whatever you don't want. And what they found at the end of this study, um, and they both groups, by the way, they got to try both diets for two weeks. And at the end of the study, they found out that people following the ultra-processed diet basically ate about 500 calories more than the uh, unprocessed diet. And what happened also, um, funnily enough, is if one group eats more calories, they gain weight. And if one group eats less calories, or fewer calories, excuse me, they lose weight. Um, So it was very much a calories in, calories out kind of thing. But it showed that these hyper- that uh, not not hyperpalatable. Excuse me. These ultra processed foods were very easy to overeat and to consume more of. And they came up with a few reasons for that. You know, they were so um, they tried to match for fiber, but they think the fiber type might have been different. Um, they found that people ate a lot faster when they were eating the ultra processed diet. And you know, other studies have shown that the faster somebody eats, the more of a tendency they have to overconsume food. Um, so. That's a mechanism right there for how ultra processed foods can contribute to um, poor health. If people are eating too much, they're, you know, they're putting on body weight, uh, they're, they're gaining weight. We know that obesity is excess body fat is not good for health overall. Um, and then if somebody's got a, a very, very highly processed diet, you know, we have to think about the micronutrient side of things. Like, you know, are are they getting as many um, micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, as somebody who's eating a more processed diet? Um, And that's another potential for ill health there. So you've got an overconsumption of calories. You've got a potential underconsumption of essential nutrients. um, And there you've got one of these mechanisms for how could ultra-processed foods
1: lead to poorer health, right there. I'll stop talking because that's... No, 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 that's good. I think that's a... I mean, probably a way more eloquent description of probably what myself or... Well, I don't want to put Brett in the same category.
0: <gasps> how <laughs> dare
1: you. Brett could probably give a better one than I, than <laughs> I could. And Richie would give the, the prime one here. But I think in relation to what... Maybe the biggest question that comes out of this is how can it be if they were, if essentially everything was matched, why did the people end up eating more food? And perhaps it's... You know, you talked about the mechanistic issue there or the mechanism in play... And is it something about like satiety do we we have obviously sensory specific satiety do these foods do the classification of ultra processed foods bypass or circumvent that whole system that we have in place to help us i suppose identify when we're full and so do we do these foods set us up to fail by virtue of what they are Uh, and unintentionally or intentionally so i mean we can talk about like you know the the deep food state if you want about how they set up foods like they create foods like this for this specific reason but obviously we like foods that taste a specific way and if foods are created in a manner that bypasses this mechanism by which we actually become full then obviously this is where that maybe the speed maybe because they taste so good we eat them faster as well i don't know but obviously sensory specific satiety is a concern in this instance and if your entire diet is based on that is that something that we are continually bypassing to get to that point
0: i think that's a really good point well made i i think it's also worth adding to that the potential difference is something that we've referred to before on the podcast kind of homeostatic and hedonic almost eating because i think yes there is an element of like satiety and is is are is are these hyperpalatable foods like you say kind of circumventing or bypassing the satiety signals but is there a role and i think if you refer to guinea in his book and his research and stuff he would obviously say yes a role that's actually promoting this kind of hedonic target beat as well which actually causes to not also be satisfied but also continually make us crave more of these foods so is there obviously there is an element of obviously not only are you not satisfied with what you're eating which obviously is going to re- leads you want to eat more but they actively or proactively make you consume more as well because it does it the hedonic style of eating is a funny thing because obviously you can you can almost satisfy homeostatic eating by you know all the things that we teach as practitioners with our clients in terms of high volume foods high protein high fiber like nutrient dense all these types of things but you can't really satisfy hedonic eating to a certain extent on the basis of the hedonic side is obviously almost the enjoyment side, the side you like, some of the things that you would see in ultra-processed foods where, you know, the, your cookies, your whatever. There aren't many people, I think, that have those foods and then feel, right, I've had them now and that's satisfied that. They actually probably then go on to crave and want more. Hence, you know, its role or its, you know, how it lends itself to the obesity epidemic. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah
2: absolutely. I, I think it's very like the... um the the buffet scenario, um, you know, and it, this kind of ties back to what Rob was saying about sensory specific satiety, where you know if you if you're trying a specific type of food with a specific flavor, if you eat enough of it, um, you get you 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 are satiated for that flavor. If you go to a buffet, you are presented with loads of different flavors and textures and experiences: sweet things, salty things, fatty things, carby things, and You just eat and eat and eat because, you know, you're, again, overriding that sensory specific satiety by having more variety, um, more deliciousness in front of you uh, the whole time. And that's very, very easy to 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 do with, um, let's say, ultra processed foods, because you can incorporate a lot of the things that drive our, uh, let's say, our desire to eat something. And, and Rob, you, you sent us out a really cool paper that was like talking about what, what makes a, a hyper-palatable food, a food that's super delicious. And basically they were talking about it's mostly fat, carbs, simple sugars, salt. If you got a couple of mixes of any two of those, you've got potentially a hyper-palatable food. And a lot of the ultra-processed foods are like that. They're absolutely um, and I know there's, there's kind of like a lot of talk about, you know, the, the food industry being completely evil and like literally designing foods to be super delicious. Any who makes food, their goal is to make something that is super delicious for, for people to enjoy. Um, like that's it. And with ultra processed foods, it's potentially a lot easier to do that than it is to make, I don't know, some sort of whole food plant-based granola bar.
0: Um, just
1: my thoughts we sure with, sorry brett go ahead
0: i was just gonna kind of with that so just your, your last example there you've obviously got this difference of a retailer trying to market specific foods for the, the generation of profits compared to someone that just wants the food to taste good but has then got some aspiration to also include some health benefits and stuff mm-hmm. hence, hence example of using whole foods and things and obviously that does make a big difference in terms of um the the potential outcomes of what we're consuming based on whether we're you know we are just falling for the retailer trap and and you know, multi level heavy marketing um, which is which in itself is a whole massive podcast topic you could talk about the kind of the types and the uh, nuances of like food marketing it's ridiculous what goes in it's like uber scientific isn't it it's not just a case of you know people just put pretty pictures out there no there's way more goes into the psychology of food marketing because they it's a it's a Trillion dollar business, right? Trillion dollar, like I'm in America. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a America. only in America. America. Now we're, we're Englanders, come on, Brexit. Um, <laughs> <it's>, It <laughs> sorry, I don't know where that came from. Um, and now I've lost my train of thought. Basically, yeah, something about food marketing. I don't know. Carry on, <laughs> rap. You add, add something, add something really, really like insightful, please. No, no,
1: no. Like, I, again, I, I was just gonna um try and like draw this out to the point where obviously if we're considering this in the, the wider context of a public health concern, if say from a like socioeconomic point of view if you are born into an environment where obviously you have a lower uh, income status and then the things that are marketed to you the most are these low cost ultra processed foods that don't supply any level of satiety or um, like overall nutrient quality and then that's reinforced you over and over again obviously that's a that's the scenario that we're seeing now and on the flip side of that we have this approach you know we we talked a little bit this before we came on but it's now become a thing where like our quote-unquote health foods being promoted in the same way so we have like bar the likes of bars and things that are given a you know a slogan and whatever that says well these are the the healthy alternative but they're still made the same way they're still produced in that same manner a lot of them still have to taste a certain way like i'm thinking of a particular bar at the minute that's like mostly fat fat from nuts and things like that but it still tastes like you know caramel coconut etc but is that in the long run something that's going to play a difference in our in the makeup of our health, if we're still selecting these as items that we're gonna consume, or is it again just the case of, well, that's only something that's marketed towards a certain population group because of the financial availability that, that's afforded to them, if you
2: get me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really tough scenario Um, and I think back in, if we go back to the the hall paper, one thing that I really liked that they did about that was they, they spoke about how much it would cost to provide, I know, I think it was 2000 calories a day if you only used on unprocessed foods and if you use the ultra processed foods, um, or over the course of a week and the ultra processed foods were a lot cheaper. Um, they were considerably cheaper to, to get that many calories. So, um, and that was in the United States and, and I'm not I'm not I'm not going to say that you know that's going to be universal everywhere. Um, but there's a good case for that. And then if they're marketed at specific individuals and you've got specific individuals, like if we look at somebody who's in somebody who's in a lower socioeconomic group, somebody who is working maybe a couple of jobs, they're not pulling in a huge income money is going to be tight so they're going to try and stretch it as much as they can ultra processed foods can help with that if they're working a lot time is going to be an issue so maybe they don't have time to cook a lot at home um and then ultra processed foods the another big and and it's a massive seller is their convenience are, are are going to be very very attractive to those individuals as well and then on top of that you've got a massive marketing campaign that can aim at those people and try to sell to those people um and what i thought was was kind of interesting is lo- looking at some of the research is in some areas you see that it's lower socioeconomic groups people with a lower um education level that are buying more of those uh, those ultra processed foods but if you there was a one paper that was in mexico i can
1: the the main yeah. author the uh, the one from 2017 i think yeah uh, yeah
2: and, and that one found that it was actually um, some of the wealthier families yeah. Yeah. Um, that were that were yeah getting a lot of ultra processed foods. Um, I think what's interesting is with with Mexico, you've got a really really good example of a country that is developing rapidly and it's going through something that's called the nutrition trans transition, yeah. which is where people become the population becomes wealthier um, and they start edging towards a more and like I I don't like kind of um, kind of uh, pointing out America on this, but the standard kind of American diet style of eating where you have more ultra processed foods. Um, and then we start seeing all of the, uh, the health effects, the knock on health effects of that, like uh, higher rates of diabetes, heart disease and so on and so forth. Um, so it is a bit of uh, a nutritional and an economic um, shit storm uh, for, for some of these people. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that I suppose we need to be aware of when I suppose even discussing it with people discussing it online, where it's determined that it's like a a single cause scenario that, you know, people get quite high up in their, um, in the safety of a social media platform to be able to just say, well, it's this and this and this and this. And oftentimes obviously we're discussing the wider, um I suppose the wider points that all make up this and how that's obviously affecting the, the scenario.
2: I, I think I think one thing that's really important to say about it is like we can say that yes, ultra processed foods play a major role in um the obesity epidemic and in let's say some of the a lot of the health conditions that go alongside that. We can say that that they play a role, but we can't say that they're it's all because of processed foods because um, so that study that Hall did, it showed that the reason people were gaining weight was because they were eating more. It was, it was all down to calories, okay? And, you know, we can go to the whole calories in, calories out argument, and, you know, th- there's that, that argument holds. But if there are foods that are very, very easily accessible, foods that are cheap, foods that are very, very tasty and very, very, over, um, very, very easy to overeat, um, if they're all over the place you know, yeah, there's a much greater chance of somebody gaining weight. But that doesn't mean that the simple addition of those foods into your diet is going to make somebody unhealthy because it's perfectly reasonable to think that somebody could have a a very, very, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find a non-ridiculous way of saying this. Somebody could have a very unprocessed diet, you know, with a lot of unprocessed foods, you know, loads of vegetables. They do a lot of cooking at home. And they might use a few um, processed foods in their diet, maybe just for fun, maybe just to make life a little bit easier for them. And, I, and I'm and i going to say this, and I, I, I do this a lot even on my own social media, I talk about using processed foods a lot in your diet to make life just a little bit easier. Because I think, you know, if it comes down to something like um, buying a jar of tomato sauce, that's a processed food, okay? Yeah. It's yeah. You know, crushed up tomatoes. Man, it... Like, I use a lot of pre-made sauces when I cook at home, but I use them because they facilitate me cooking more at home with lots and lots of vegetables and other things that I want to, to throw in. So if somebody was to say to me, all processed foods are the devil, they need to be eliminated from our diet, it's absolutely ridiculous, they're killing everybody. It's like, no, like, I, I think I would probably, well, I don't know, <laughs> I might cook less if I didn't have as much access to um, processed foods, because... Like most people, I don't have a huge amount of time to cook anymore. I remember when I used to have a lot, and I used to spend a lot of time cooking. Um, but nowadays, I don't have a lot, so I need everything I can to make sure that I can. When I do cook, it's fast, it's efficient, and I can still produce something that I consider to be relatively healthy in the long run, if you
1: know what I mean. But then, in this in this case, like just i honest, doesn't that doesn't doesn't that state a I suppose a precedence to re really go into the classification? Because on what you're saying there, I actually had a discussion with a friend today, and he was telling me how, like, when he's on the road with stuff, and he's, like, he is quite busy, but he tries to make time to eat well, whatever that is, yeah, from our, I suppose, our understanding of it. And he was saying, like, he goes to Iceland, and he gets, like, four pre-cooked, like, chicken breasts for, I think it was, like four like, bre- five breasts for three euro, and then he gets a couple of tins of... You know, the Tesco low-fat lentil soup. So, to me, like, that's an example of, I suppose, stacking processed foods in your favor as such. Because we we, we would agree that that is a, probably on the verge of, it's definitely processed, but is it ultra-processed? I mean, we could argue that the soup is is ultra-processed, but it's still, if you look at the ingredients, I mean, beyond a couple of preservatives to keep it, you know, canned fresh, um, you're pretty much looking at like minimal vegetables and water as the main thing. And then you have yes, okay, you read out the ingredients of the chicken breast, and it was like 97% chicken breast, then like um, what was it? Yeah, it was salt, and it was um, multidextrin, like were the other things. But I mean, like it's five chicken breasts for cooked chicken breasts for three euro. In that instance, that's going to play out better for what the role is. So it's understanding that, what, like you're saying, sometimes processed foods can make a positive impact in I suppose the larger picture of your overall nutritional intake.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think you have to take everything with a bit of context. You know, you, I, you can't just go around painting everything with the exact same brush and saying all ultra, ultra-processed foods are bad categorically um you know they can play a role um if somebody is a little bit savvy about what they're doing
0: i want yep. to just um slightly divert and explore so richie you might be the best person to um ask because you seem to know the most about it but the whole study so i remember reading bits of it when it came out what a year ago Was it that long ago yeah. Was, was it even that, that, that long ago yeah Jesus. Yeah. Um, however I can't say I've paid huge amounts of attention since because let's be honest the outcome was pretty like no shit Sherlock um, but so the idea of the two groups and one being obviously fed ultra processed foods one being um, fed minimally processed or, or non processed do we know what the actual types of foods were so what did they specifically feed people
2: so, I don't know. I did look into this, and I did try to find the appendix for what they were giving people, but i couldn't I couldn't find anything. Because
0: um, that's, that's basically what I've been trying to do for the last two minutes, and I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't find the
2: appendix, and like like even you know, I, I tried through the university and i couldn't I couldn't find anything. Um, that it, it is a bit of a pity. They did try to make match everything as much as possible like so they tried to, to match volume uh, as far as I know as much as possible um, and kind of calorie density according to uh, the weight of the food and I think they did that with some beverages that um, may have had calories in there and I know that they also use beverages for supplying some of the fiber in the diets um, to match the fiber on both diets as well yeah. Um, but yeah don't know what what the exact, Recipe plan or meal plan was
0: sure because I guess like you could probably look at this to say right they're trying to control as many variables as they can to to establish this hypothesis of whether the processing element is fundamentally what is causing people to overeat. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we're probably establishing that it's not perfect, um which I don't think anyone's expected it to have been. But I don't because obviously it's just yeah, an incredibly difficult study to run through, and they've probably done as good a job as you you're gonna mm-hmm. get. Um and the reason i kind of wanted to to kind of talk about that a bit more is because again what we've mentioned already in terms of the potential of conflating like the, the processing element and its you know mechanistic cause of overeating and potentially the just the fact that ultra processing almost always correlates with super hyper palatable and what really is the thing and you could then relate that back to A and all of his theory around the like food reward optimal foraging theory um you know his, his opinions on i suppose it is part of the food reward part but around we are from an ancestral um, position and genetically driven for survival and to consume high calories high protein high carbs high fats food variety so we want a variety of, of different tastes flavors sugar like salt sugar and umami the meaty taste um obviously there's a lot there that I've, that I've just gone through but basically i'm just wondering like we're going around this processing thing and we're talking about processing as if it's like fundamentally that like huge part of it but is do you, does anyone think that maybe it is overplayed slightly and maybe the processing isn't really that big your examples of the types of processed ingredients you're using in your cooking would you say even anecdotally that they are things that potentially are leading or could lead someone to consume more calories or more food I mean, I guess it's a scale, because if you're comparing it to a chicken breast with nothing on it, probably, yes. If you're even like a tomato, like a passata, if you're using that as a base of a sauce, which you might say, oh, it's processed because it's just, you know it's not straight from the ground kind of thing. Um, you could argue that that is tastier, like making a sauce from that, than it is ch- eating a dry old chicken breast. But you see what I'm trying to say in terms of like, d- does anyone think that there's maybe a lot of emphasis on like the the processing element and maybe the message is not necessarily around that and maybe a lot of it is more around the the correlation to most processed foods being just damn deliciousness as you put it
2: i i, I get what you're saying yeah and i i would agree um to a certain extent in that i feel that yeah a lot of people say it, it's the processing it's because this food is processed it's making me eat more game weight it's it's not that it it's more to do with the fact that you know we've got reduction in satiety values we've got um I, I, like if, if we think on a much more global scale we've got much more access to these foods they're cheaper they're convenient you know some people have more free time some people get bored when they get bored what are they going to do they're going to eat Eating has become much more acceptable. Um, snacking has become much more acceptable. Um, I don't think it's it's the the processing per se, but I do think the processing plays a role because there's also, you know, one thing that they did in the hall study again was they looked at metabolizable energy, so that's the actual food, uh, sorry, the actual energy that we're able to derive from food. And while the results were inconclusive, they said that there was a possibility that the metabolizable energy from the ultra processed foods was higher than the unprocessed foods. And like, just to give an idea of how that might happen is if a food is, if you think of it's ultra processed, think about things like it's, you know, you've got sugars, you've got some starches like flour, you've got some refined oils. um, And those are all exceptionally easy to digest. You know, Mm. we eat them, we absorb them very quickly. We absorb the vast majority of calories where if you're eating a lot of whole unprocessed foods, like whole grains, There is a small proportion of that food that is going to just pass through your digestive system and not be completely digested. And we do lose energy in that form. And I think um, they even mentioned in the whole study that one thing that they should have done or that they should do in future studies, I I should say, is that they want to – this is going to sound lovely – they want to measure fecal energy output. So basically how much energy is um, excreted in poop.
0: um, You're shit. You're allowed to swear in your shit in your poop <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> um, yeah so to measure that because that's a good indication of how much is coming how much of what you're taking in is getting absorbed yeah um and yeah and that that's something to bear in mind as well that you know it, it physiologically um and physically the food is just it might be a better source or a more uh, efficient source of calories so that's something to bear in mind. I don't think it's either one or the other. You know, there's yeah, yeah. lots of things.
0: I mean, yeah, I guess being the, the predominant types of food you're going to get in a minimally processed food are going to be obviously plant matter, etc. which, you know, you use the example of almonds. In, and obviously I can't remember what the percentage is now. One of you two will probably tell me. I reckon Richie's going to tell me.
2: It's like about 70% of the calories in unprocessed raw almonds get absorbed compared to if you had it as almond butter
0: basically because of the cells don't get broken down during digestion and just like exactly say, yeah. pass through. Yeah. So I guess that could be attributable to lots of other different types of plant foods, I guess it's going to differ per source. Um, mm. and I guess I, I wonder how much if we're talking like from a practicality standpoint, is that consideration for people? Probably not a huge, it's not like, Oh, everyone must go out and eat millimetre process because all of a sudden I'm only going to digest 70% of my calories. Well, actually in reality, it's probably not going to be that much of a differential unless you're yeah, yeah and, unless and with
2: especially with, with that figure that i've given out that's specifically for almonds <laughs> and they found that it it's it's lower for other nuts that for other nuts you actually absorb them a lot better and that changes if the almond is roasted um you know you you absorb more because they're easier to digest mm-hmm. if the almond is pre um broken up it's easier to digest as well um so i yeah i think there's you know if you have a minimally they've they've done studies on this as well like looking at the difference between minimally processed and more processed forms of the same food and they've seen that the difference over the course of the day is can be quite small it can be something like you know less than 100 calories or something like that um and you could you could argue as well that you know over the course of time 100 calories you know that 100 calories less that that could lead to you know weight loss or something like that so it's it's a small role to play a role nonetheless yeah, some small role. No, it's
0: definitely worth bringing up, it does lend itself to you know, I I don't you know when I brought up around the conflation of the the two points of process versus palatable, um, I obviously I've got a, a rough opinion, but I don't really know what the answer is. So I wasn't suggesting that because I'm I think that's the answer. It's kind of more really genuinely interested in terms of how much people feel either option or either um parts of the spectrum uh, play a role basically. Mm-hmm
2: another thing that i kind of wanted to mention is that so obviously in uh it's very very popular on social media in kind of fitness circles at the moment to talk about um you know let's say all foods fit and being able to incorporate a wide variety of different foods into your diet and obviously there was the the if it fits your macros group that was like you know you can eat anything as long as it you know as long as it fits your macros you're you're absolutely fine um which kind of then there's the the more flexible dieting approach whereas you know you have a mostly unprocessed diet and you can incorporate some processed foods in there as well and you know you're you're still going to be healthy and i i think there's a lot to be said for that definitely i think when we tell people that they shouldn't consume a certain food i think that's the wrong thing to do because it immediately says to people um you know when, when you Limit something to somebody; it automatically makes it more attractive. People want more of it. But I remember the thing. I I was having this conversation with you, Brett. This was a while ago, and it was on um, Instagram. So I'll, I'll forgive you if you completely forgot the the conversation. But you mentioned that, like you know, you were changing some of your thoughts around um, kind of processed foods because if some people have processed foods, they can be very very easy to overeat, and that is absolutely true. So if you go around saying to people, "Oh yeah, you can fit anything into your diet," It's easy for somebody to say, oh, I can have donuts in my diet and then, you know, like two boxes of Krispy Kremes later to like, what just happened? Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a level of education and understanding and responsibility that needs to go into this. You absolutely can, you know, incorporate these foods into your diet. Um, you just don't want them to become a big part of your diet. And I, I think that's kind of the message that, you know, I suppose that's kind of more the responsible message to be putting out there um and obviously we we can't we can't look down on on people who like for whatever reason they have they kind of have to base their diet around a lot of unprocessed foods and that's that's what they have for the moment um so yeah i those are just kind of some some random thoughts on that Mm.
0: rab you're quiet
1: no no i mean i just i think richie joked a lot of sense there i think that's part of the larger framework of the conversation so good
0: okay um i will echo the last point you said um regular listeners will understand that i went through a bit of an experiment uh prior to christmas where i put on the best part of 20 pounds in two and a half months maybe something like that and it was basically a slight kind of take on intuitive eating um but not really not in its clinical sense, anyway. Um, kind of more like the the mindful eating side of it, rather than specifically intuitive eating. My issue, and I've said this on previous podcasts, where I feel a lot of the kind of the weight gain, which was was fine, because you know it's kind of something that I was really treating as an experiment, and you know kind of happy with the weight gain, um, was due to I allowed lots of variety and lots of processed foods into my diet. And therefore, I consume quite a lot of calories. <laughs> so, yeah, I would echo basically what you're saying there. I think, like for an anecdotal yeah, experiment, again,
2: super easy to do. And like you know, I I, I, t- I talk about people being allowed to to incorporate all of these things there into their diets, but I also say that one of the easiest ways to maintain a diet is to limit your food options. Um, To kind of have a a limited set number of recipes that you kind of always go back to and kind of stick with those um, while still allowing yourself, you know, the, you know, the opportunity to have certain things when you want it, but not just to say, not to be living for like, oh my God, Friday nights come and I can't wait to have, you know, a bag of chips and a pint of ice cream or something like that. I think that that that's kind of defeating the purpose of the the whole
0: um, change in mentality that's needed. Fundamentally, there is a big difference between because you can have something, meaning that you want it, and I think a yeah. lot of people don't understand that fundamental difference between it because a lot of the time it is because you can you you want it or you will have it, and that that isn't. It's only when you really start to practice some of those kind of mindful techniques, for want of a better hippy dippy phrase, they genuinely do start to then split them apart, and you do start to realise actually. There are times where I can have stuff, you know, I have complete permission to eat. However, I actually generally don't necessarily need or want it. And I've, I found that it's only until I really started to think about stuff and be mindful that that started to happen, genuinely. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think it's a good place to be and a, a place that a lot of people
2: find, you know, have trouble getting to. Mm.
0: But it didn't happen when I was eating 17 Reese's Cups a night, unfortunately. So. The large ones or the mini ones? Yeah, the large ones. And I mean the large ones by the half pound ones. So I had 17 half pound ones. Okay, that's pretty impressive. What? No, I am joking. I obviously didn't. (gasps) I think um, a half pound Reese's cup is about 1,000 calories, I think. I think if I remember, you know, obviously they sell those large ones. They're like half, they're like a pound for two cups. I think that was about 2,000 calories, I remember, from. We got i like playing my breasts. If only you could see me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was about two thousand calories. So that'd be quite a lot, wouldn't it? That'd be eight and a half thousand calories. Impressive. Yeah. yeah. I could do that. There to be go. fair, it's pretty easily. I don't know. I, <laughs> think be, I reckon you'd probably get quite sick of Reese's Cups after that amount.
2: I don't think that's sweet I think yeah, you would. Uh,
0: you'd struggle with eventually. However, though, it does tick all the boxes: high fat, high carb. Salty, salty sweet sugar yeah. a bit a bit of protein yeah it's a bit of sugar good texture well great yeah mouth nice mouth feel you know a bit especially you know nice chunky outside a nice soft creamy middle different variety of textures see i think maybe that's not a bad thing to overeat on we're still talking about peanut butter cups no <laughs> um so anyway talking about um silky people people in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> Was, uh, yes, like peanut bar. I thought I did quite well there. Yeah, Shall we let did. It? We'll let people in the, in a secret. We've got a kind of second thing we wanted to discuss, which well, isn't really a secret because we kind of mentioned at the start of the episode. However, I did make a joke about I have no idea how I'm going to segue from quite <laughs> extremely different topics. But I think I did it quite well there.
1: Yeah, yeah it, was, it was done with taste and acumen. So I think a congratulations is thank you. in order. I'm hoping someone sends me a medal (laughs) or a Blue Peter
0: badge I will take a Blue Peter badge because I never got one as a child
1: most children didn't get one so I think you're okay
0: really? oh that makes me feel better yeah so what what, so what oh we're keeping you up what um so there was a I'll I'll position this and then I'll let you two go in um so there was an episode for want of a better phrase this last week last week wow Time flies. Last week in the fitness industry. Now, if you're in the fitness sphere, you've probably got no fucking idea what I am talking about. Um, But I was getting messages left, right, and centre from people saying, "Have you heard? Have you seen?" I was like, "Whoa." Um, Now, I guess we're not necessarily going to talk about specific incidents, although you can if you want. Um, But the idea. It is quite a useful thing, I think, or the 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 principle is quite a useful thing for us to talk about because it is something that's quite prominent within the industry, and us being the the shining you know, lights that we are in this place, we feel like it's, it's someone's got to lead the way. I don't know. If, <laughs> did, did I build out too much?
1: You'll <laughs> reluctantly take it on our shoulders. Yes. I, I,
0: I, sp- I
2: suppose if we if, can you can you tell us a little bit like. Uh, give us a little bit of background about uh, what the 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 whole this story is about
0: okay yes you know right you can tell us all right well (laughs) like you can tell us in a very very general sense of course right so essentially a rather well considerably large name within the fitness industry um and we we shall not name names but you know maybe it rhymes with um, well no look, the, you the, the, have... the, the flute ply oh my god i can't believe i said it um i was gonna i can't i couldn't think anything actually rhymes with his actual name so so, so <laughs>
2: let's 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 not like look the whole point of this is just to talk about something that's going on in the industry and i, I think
0: i think Richie's worried about getting sued me, me not so much but anyway um okay okay i won't i won't say a name you'd have to take over right basically something happened where someone potentially abused a position of power or fame or notoriety within the industry potentially um i think it just kind of shows that there are some people within the industry and this probably goes for lots of industries let's be honest or lots of walks of life but there are some people in the industry that aren't maybe what you've seen and what you see on social media etc etc um yeah, I don't really know how else to position it other than that, really. So maybe you should you know, take over Richie and say what you're going to say, unless Rab feels like. he's... Oh, well, the, look,
1: so. look, like I know we talked a little bit about this, and you know, this isn't about positioning ourselves as, as holier than thou, whatever. Well, but I suppose, I suppose, it's about understanding that what you know, this industry is about. Ultimately, you know, it's about providing people who need our help um, to better their overall health. You know, that, that's, a, well, okay, maybe it's just me. That's why I got into it um, or whatever. But I suppose it's when things get out of control to where it becomes just another thing where we have this facade of, oh, we're definitely all about this or we're definitely doing that. But on the flip side, there's this whole trail of destruction that we're, that people are, are left in. And I suppose the, the, larger discussion of this it ends up being can anyone can anyone in this industry be trusted to actually leave a legacy of good overall work but also someone who didn't leave like a trail of destruction behind them from like a personal point of view or not not from a personal point of view but from actual like lives damage but then we'll say oh well you know they provided us with this they did this great thing but at the end of the day like i remember you know, someone said at the end of the day, it's just you know, like that stuff like this doesn't matter. Like how you treat people, how you know, those are the things that matter. Relationships matter. Like how you treat people with with care, etc. All matters at the end of the day. Doesn't matter what you amass and that kind of thing. But is that kind of the legacy that we're leaving when it comes to situations like this? Or are we happy to just be like, well, another one bites the dust? Because that's essentially what it was. We're just like. And maybe it's a disingenuous part on our behalf, to be like, we're waiting for this thing to happen. We're waiting to be like, yes, there goes another person who's going to be next. And I know we joked about that. But also at the same time, we're like, is that uh, an indicator of what we expect to happen? And in the case of doing better work and being better, do we need to be, I suppose, do we need to be better? as a whole do we need do, do we need to hold ourselves accountable or hold the industry itself accountable for its actions not just for what it provides from oh well we co- contributed to this and this person did this versus yeah well you know this is going on behind the scenes and no one's taking responsibility for it
0: do you think so just to add a question and do you think it matters as in do you think that people should or do, do you think people need, are able to separate people's personal actions in their personal life to their professional life does it matter
1: i think it does when it's presented again we talked about this like on like a large scale social media platform i do think it matters because you are taking that person that person's approach and appearance on their actions as how they truly are and i think that's a disingenuous part of perhaps what we do and i understand the whole thing of well can you separate the person from the private but i think when it becomes a thing where there's repeated patterns of behavior and it starts to affect more and more people i think yeah that becomes a problem and if a person grows in popularity and you know positive notoriety but if there's a continued trail of well, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. Then I think, yeah, absolutely, we need to ask that question. Okay. I
2: I, I think you know just for, for anybody who's uh, made it this far listening, like just to kind of to give a bit of a, a bit of an idea of, of what we're talking about, just in case anybody's confused. I think there's there's quite a few individuals in the industry, um, and that can be fitness, that can be nutrition or whatever, that have developed. Very very large um, Facebook followings or Instagram followings or whatever, they've built up a reputation for um, a reputation and a certain uh, good form of notoriety um, about being let's almost say stalwarts within the within the industry. You know, uh, this guy is a, a great resource to go to or whatever. And I think it's very very easy for. People on the the other end of the social media platform, the people who are scrolling through Instagram to look at these people and say, "Okay, wow, this guy puts out great information," or uh, "This person is always talking about," um, you know, "this this person seems to be a really 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 good guy. I want to follow him." But is that always going to be the case? Is that the truth? Because okay, we don't know what the hell social media. You, we all know what it's like. We we show the best. We can show whatever face or side of ourselves that we want to see. We don't. It's very very difficult to know if we're genuinely getting to see the real face of somebody that we're um, that we're that we're following, and it's come out in a few instances. There was an instance in twenty eighteen where somebody came out and uh, somebody big in the industry, and it was to do with sexual harassment. Though you know, the, 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 like let's let's be completely honest about it, okay? And and this is the thing that bothered me the most. we we're, we're we're talking about people who are held in very, very high esteem in the industry um, that nobody would say a bad thing about. And then we find out that they're not as squeaky clean as we expected them to be. And what happens is there's usually some form of a, um, uh, a reaction online where you'll have people who say, oh no, no, I've been following this person for years, they're great, you know, they would never do anything like that, Um, and then you've got the other people that kind of like people who are kind of almost popping out of the woodwork because it's, it's almost like a, and you know, Rob, you, you mentioned this. It's almost like a, a, a Weinstein uh, situation where we've got a, a, me too movement where it becomes easier for people to come out about this and speak about similar incidences that they've had. And that's something that happened. Like you said, Brett last week with another big name in the industry and, we all know of other people in the industry who, again, have this squeaky clean image and who are not, you know, living up to any image of integrity that they might wish to portray online. Um, and it's a serious issue because we are people, I'll just finish this, we as, as, as the people who are people following them on social media, they we are the ones who give them that power to continue doing what they do, um, by continuously supporting them, and then there might be people within the industry that also know what they're doing and avoid coming out about it for fear of, you know, whatever repercussions might happen, or for fear of you know online attacks, and, and this has been mentioned online, especially in, in this case of last week. And it's just a snowballing situation that seems to be getting worse and worse. And I think, unfortunately, I, I know we joked about this, it's going to be a case where more of these cases come out and people find out about this. And it's not going to be pleasant. And there's going to be backlash from all sorts of sides, you know, like from supporters and followers and whatever. Um, yeah. So it's a massive issue in the industry, and nobody's talking about it. But it's something that needs to be talked about, and that's why you know we
1: we wanted to speak about this tonight. Uh, and just just on that, like I, I talked about, how it appears to be something specific to this industry, where people amass almost like cult-like followings, and no wrong can be done. Because again, there was something that happened in Canadian athletics. Uh, I think it was the last month. And it was a big deal, like something very similar to this, and no one was just like defending this person to the nth degree by saying this could never be true this could never be true it was a case of holy crap this has been going on for this amount of time why why we only been alerted to this now but it just it appears that because people generate such a huge following and we just have these like not i don't want to say yes men or yes women or whatever but people who just say no that could never be that person and ultimately it becomes this like like you describe a keyboard bashing thing where. Like you get outraged the the main thing that people have put po- and this is what happened last week. the main thing that was discussed became secondary to what was discussed for the day, and you know, for anyone who reads into comments or whatever, it was a it was drudgery of of just people were like "I'm done with this kind of thing, but we get to the point where we fail to keep the spotlight on the issue because we're having to end up defending or stopping people from saying well this could never happen or "Or they've done this or you said this and it becomes a shouting match against it instead of being like holy crap if this is the real scenario then this is a travesty and it should be something that people are somewhat held accountable for because obviously you know we said the 2018 situation whatever went on obviously there was a a, a significant situation but it just appeared that people were just happy to be like that's grand you know Get back on it. And at the end of the day, it's not as if like you're curing disease or like you're providing the world with this inherently amazing thing that's going to like change the face of like human culture. Like it's you know, talk about macros a bit or talk about like whatever. That doesn't change people's like that doesn't make everything you do better or that doesn't allow you to get away with things and then take no responsibility or show no remorse for something. And then to have people just kind of be like, "Oh, that's grand. that's great," you know, back on the horse, back on the rodeo wagon. And you and you say that, Rob, and
2: and that that's completely true. You know, just because somebody is doing this doesn't give them the the right to or to to act or behave like that. But the case or the situation is that it is happening, and right. and and maybe it's something that's particular to nutrition. And like you know, we we could have a very very long conversation about you know the whole nutrition field being almost religion-like and, Rab, you even mentioned cult-like um, and w- where we have gurus and we have followers and followers who were, you said yes men and you, you kind of stopped yourself there. I, I, I wouldn't. There are some people who have followers and their followers will do whatever they say or believe whatever they say and without question. Um, And they will, you know, they will attack anybody who suggests that they might, that the person they're following has done anything remotely wrong, because it couldn't be true. And I don't know if it is exclusively in the nutrition or the fitness world, but social media probably plays a massive role, Um, and we we seem to have kind of developed into a situation or an environment where we're putting people on these pedestals that are completely undeserved. Um, And I don't know, maybe that's just going to some people's heads, and then they feel like, okay, I'm on this pedestal, I can pretty much do whatever I want and that might be that could be anything it could be harassing women at events it could be um it could be cheating on somebody's partner it could be um you know uh inappropriate behavior with clients something like that you know it, there's all these different ways that it can manifest and people still get away with it
0: i was just going to add Go ahead, um, no i was just going to add i think the bit about yes men and followers, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily specific to nutrition or fitness. Um, purely because, obviously, it's kind of almost describing the tribalism ideal, ideology of survival. You know, tribes always you had from from an ancestral point of view. Again, I know it's a bit weak to kind of go back to that in some aspects. <laughs> However. Um, Tribe survived you know that's that's how we've managed to spread our genetics over many 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 hundreds of thousands of years i'm not very good at history it could be millions of years i don't know <laughs> um anyway tribalism i think is something that is genetically embedded in us and obviously that then can manifest itself in stuff like this where people will kind of you know accept behaviors of what they consider leaders or they consider hierarchy um, on the basis of it's good for them to do that because they're part of a community, part of a tribe and that will lead to greater protection and survival and you see it all the time in other industries. You look at politics, you look at people align themselves to political groups, you look at diets and nutrition where people align themselves to almost like religious-based, cultural like ways of eating almost you know like keto diets or whatever you know whatever it is veganism or now carnivore and all of these different things that people are now they become that persona of that specific thing they're aligning themselves to i think that's why um it it isn't necessarily related specifically to nutrition or fitness but i do think because of the way the fitness industry is and the fact that it's kind of now default to gravitate to using social media as your main marketing stuff that just inevitably is just so far more prominent on that because that's what, you know, people put their lives on social media because they want to get a, get a following so they can have someone to market to so they can get clients and blah, blah, blah. So,
1: yeah, no, I like, like I, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not deeply ingrained in as it was human nature to not turn a blind eye to things, but I suppose as, as a relatively young industry in the sense of, you know, it hasn't really been around for the, length of time as say more established fields like if we're trying to build legitimacy i don't think we're doing a good job when major players who've been around for you know 10 15 years whatever are then in situations like this like if we're if we're actually are trying to like like i've, I've heard people say well you know we can build credibility where this is like almost a, a spin-off of the healthcare industry and, and that's kind of that's the the seriousness that i suppose Or the the scope to which we can lend our abilities to the opportunity, yeah, yeah. But I don't see us doing that if we're like embroiled in scandals all the time. Like, and I know the healthcare industry isn't, you know, isn't squeaky clean itself. But as on a on a whole scale, I mean, you are delivering a top end, I suppose, intervention system to people, and I feel that we potentially have the same capacity to do that but I would also then say we're not really following through on our again our do no harm kind of thing or the whole thing about doing harm to clients if this is or to the people around us because I think that does carry over and I think you have to be like you have to be mindful of stuff like that and you know we have to figure out a way to do better to be better and to hold people accountable I mean surely that's no well you have to say that, again, maybe I'm just, you know, I don't know. I just think that perhaps it's something that we should be considering as something. And some people did stand up and say the right thing. And, of course, maybe they're not worried about the reputation. But, obviously, that's the decision that they made. And that's, in my eyes, it's probably the right decision to make. Mm-hmm.
2: I think that's a very very difficult decision for for some people to make as well. Um because if like if if we're talking in in the sense of women for example, if they're going to come forward, with, you know, claims or accusations like this, that's not an easy thing for to, for a woman to do especially if it's in relation to somebody who has a very very large following. Um because you could immediately face some serious backlash. From other people. Um, that's terrifying in, on of, in and of itself. And it could be so serious that somebody could just say, okay, right, I, I, I can't handle this. I'm done with this. I'm not going to say anything else anymore. Forget about it. And then that person is, is shunned as being that per- you know, the one who tried to, to tame somebody's name. Um, and I suppose, you know, in the last two situations, if we're talking about these two situations, I think one of the reasons that Anything was said and anything became well known is because the women that were involved were very, very large names in the industry with very, very large followings. And that's that's horrendous that it took women with massive social media followings to come out about this um, and to come out about this kind of behavior that could have been going on with other women in the past or in, in other scenarios. Um, but that's what's happened. And I I think that, you know, Rab, you said it, you know, we should be better. And I think with with we, I don't know how you mean it, but I think the <laughs> I think the culture or the let's say the the pop the yeah, just all of the people who are in this industry, both the producers and the consumers within the industry, need to play a role in this. And need to kind of take a, a certain stance when, when th- things like this happen, or when allegations like this arise, or or when people suspect something like this is going on. Because you know, you always hear rumors, and and I, I I I genuinely like I I think rumors are are terrible because one like you know you never know if a rumor is true, but if you hear enough rumors about an individual, you begin to, you begin to worry. Oh, is that is this true about a, a certain person? Would they actually do that? And then if you hear it again, you can't unhear that. You can't. You have to pay attention. Say something's going on here. Something's wrong. Do I have a role that can I play? Can I play in this? Can 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 I help somebody with this situation? Can I listen to somebody in this situation? Um, and I, I don't know where I'm where I'm going with the, with this point, but um, I just think that a lot of people in the situations that we just mentioned don't feel that support. They don't feel that they have anybody to listen to. And they, that's why they're afraid to speak up about anything that goes on in the industry.
1: Sure. I I think, I think you're right on that. And I think like no, no one's asking people to, to go around and to start just blindly accusing people on the basis of, of hearsay or whatever. But I guess like the simplest thing that we can do is try to look at ourselves and, Figure out. Okay, well, how can I make sure that I am being as truthful and transparent as possible in what I do? That if I am like a, a social media figure, um, I for one probably am not one of those people. Um, All right, but 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 maybe we again, maybe to flip it on, maybe we are to some people because they're who we view. But and, and so we have to be mindful of the sphere of influence that we have. And make sure that we are doing what we can to make sure that something like this isn't the legacy that we leave behind, isn't part of what we inevitably are remembered for um, and that we actually contribute to you know the flourishing of this and its potential and obviously just from the point of view of being better humans to people in the case of our of our gender being better male figures to people upcoming in this field so that we can look back and and be proud of our efforts be proud of what we actually tried to achieve here and if that means you know standing up for what's right in the face of stuff that is beyond our control but is worthwhile standing up for then yeah that's probably something that we have to do
2: no it really was that But but how bad is it that we have to remind people of that?
1: I I, I don't think, look, I think, you know, there's a massive part of, you know, we talked about the social media side of things. I mean, we saw what happened, you know, unrelated to to this whole thing. But people, it just becomes a a cesspool where people can say whatever they want. I mean, stuff that's said is said behind the, it was with the ease of being able to communicate immediately spit out what's on your mind about a person straight away without any of the thought, the processing that goes into it. So I don't, I think that plays a role in it as well. Mm
2: -hmm. I think, I think that, yeah. And just on that, you know, that there's something to be said about how easy it is to say something on social media. And obviously it's important. If somebody has something genuine to say that they say it and that it gets heard, and then on the opposite side of things, it's very, very easy on social media for people to make up lies about other people in the industry or to, to badmouth other people in the industry. And, and it all spreads. And it contributes to that cesspool that you were talking about, um, Rab. Like just a – it's a not – I'm not going to say that the fitness industry is a cesspool. I'm going to say that it's – there are some areas within the nutrition industry because of certain individuals that are unpleasant, genuinely unpleasant to be in. Um, and it's because of intimidation, fear of intimidation, um, fear of being called out, you know, this whole call-out culture, which is really, really popular now, which is I, I absolutely abhor. Um, and that is... It's just absolutely rife in this industry, and it's not nice. And I... Like, I'm happy. I, I'm very proud of what I do. Like, I I love what I do. I love nutrition. Um, but sometimes using social media, for example, and like, I know we're focusing a lot on social media. I absolutely hate it sometimes. And I still use it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I, I don't know how to, I don't know. Um, Sometimes I just don't know how to deal with that, uh, those two sides of social media.
1: Yeah. No, I I I agree. On what you're saying there. Um, I just think it's good to draw attention to this, just or lest it be something that, again, in, you know, let's be real, three months' time, where we're like, oh, this person's come out with, you know, a brand new thing and everything's grand again, all is forgiven. And yeah. then, you know, flash forward to what happens every, what, two years or something? Or every, like <laughs> every year and a half yeah i mean th- this is like another person is in the same scenario and we're like why haven't we learned from this or why why do we subject ourselves to the same whole thing again i suppose it's just trying to be aware and trying to be suppose as i said transparent about it
0: yeah just to um round up on this because of um obviously this has been a long one and, <laughs> and we went very deep
1: um <laughs> maybe we should have started with this
0: <laughs> hey split it up into two podcasts man
1: no I'll leave it as is people love our
0: 17 million hour long episodes um no g- genuinely though i think just two points that i just want to bring out of that is that obviously yes i do think this is something that needs to be talked about more by people because it does just go unnoticed like you say the whole point of people just kind of forgiving and forgetting almost. Um, it's just one of those things really. But the other aspect is there is an element of the individuals themselves, like every single human being on this planet has to take responsibility for their own actions. And there's only so much, yes, as much as we obviously should bring things to attention, the individual has to be the, you know, a decent human being, which the reason it's like such a, a prominent or big talking point, I think, is because we are in an industry that is built on serving people like Rab said at the start of this we're in a wellness industry almost for want of a better phrase because it is a wellness industry even if it is nutrition or fitness or whatever but it is about making people better people so therefore we expect it to come from better people and obviously it is just a shame undermining the industry and disempowering for a lot of people when people when the people they look up to do stuff like some of the things we talked about absolutely yeah pretty much Wow, that was good. Uh, <laughs> ah, Right. Um, we are an hour 20 in, lads. Um, that was very deep, that end, actually. Really deep. Really deep. It hit me like right down there.
1: Yeah, I thought we did okay on that, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. You're fine. Attention right? drawn. <laughs> right. Can we just... I, I gave some opportunity for some really strong banter there about going long and deep, and no one really kind of gave it it's its due worth so i'm a bit disappointed i'm not gonna lie especially from two irishmen um i expected better but
2: i thought you were testing us to be honest but i thought you were like how how much can i say before they go in can they resist saying anything and we
0: did you did you did well very mature (laughs) very very mature um right on that note um be more nutrition yo das nutrition
1: yeah, for the time being.
0: Ooh, sh- Ooh, is there a little sneak peek or something there? Yeah.
1: No, 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 don't worry. just saying that. Oh, i just saying that. Throwing it out there to see how it fits, you know, how it sits with people, but, you
0: know. Okay. Instagram we, love you, we love you, Daz. We love you, Daz. There are Instagram handles, by the way, in case anyone's wondering why I'm just going of shout sh- sh- random things. Um, I guess they can get in touch with either of you at those. Yours is B underscore more underscore nutrition. That's it. All right. And yours is all one word,
1: Daz Nutrition ain't no underscore out in this part of town no
0: no it's a bit of a shame really that you have to underscore this, mate but never mind <laughs> don't feel bad about I was,
2: it. I was just i was literally just starting to get over that but yeah, yeah okay thanks now i'm thinking back. about it again
0: well thank you both two friends of mine coming on and doing this for me um it's most enjoyable Most your pleasure
1: yes. no, it was good to finally get this out there you know
0: yeah that's
1: what she said did you? thanks for thanks for facilitating this Brett. i much appreciate it
0: was that my part a facilitator
1: no but you facilitated the opportunity for us to get together and talk about stuff well, in a safe space well recovered
2: <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't your idea Brett. like you said hey we need to talk about this <laughs>
0: did i i don't remember that bit but okay yeah well it was my idea to get you both on it's you know, I like to leave the topic free, you know, so Yeah. yeah and hope good. hopefully people enjoyed it. So anyway, Indeed.
1: let us know if you
0: did. Yes, please do get in touch. Um on a slightly related but slightly separate note, we did get a review this week which said one star brilliant and it was basically saying something on the lines of we are fake nutritionists giving out um unevidence based nutrition certificates to people. Do not listen to their information. Now, I have no idea what that means, given that we aren't accrediting anyone or giving out any type of certificates (laughs) to people. Um, So, hey-ho, maybe they put it on the wrong podcast. I don't know. But we've got a lovely little one-star review there now.
1: (laughs) Do I get a certificate? (laughs) Yeah.
0: I will send you on the post along with your Blue Peter badge.
2: (laughs) Does that that count as, like, CPD or anything like
0: that? I think so, yeah. Fantastic. By all means. means. Right, I'm going to go. Bye-bye. Gonna sign off. People are probably thinking that's if they don't even listen this long, they probably didn't. Let's be honest. So, if they didn't, you they can't hear me.
1: <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.